This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Welcome to Happy Class. This is a special bonus series of the Live Free Creative podcast, where I, Miranda Anderson, give you a little bit of an inside scoop into my Master of Applied Positive Psychology program at UPenn. I am going to spend the 2022-2023 school year diving deep into the science of well-being, answering the question, what makes life worth living? And I'm excited to share little bits and pieces along the way with you. So whether you're interested in what's it like being in graduate school as an almost 40-year-old, or if you, like me, are interested in living a little bit better life, I hope that you'll enjoy these quick, thoughtful insights as to the things that I'm learning and what I think about them. Hop into my backpack. Let's head on in to happy class. Well, hello there. Welcome to week six of class. Wow. We uh, are exactly one week out from my most recent onsite. And this last week, I tried to sort of look forward at, I guess it's going to be two more weeks before I actually go to Philadelphia, which I'm super excited about. The end of this month, I will be in Philadelphia in class on campus. It's going to be amazing. And between now and then, I have the whole section's worth of assignments to do. So that is a discussion group and a paper for my 600 class, a written assignment and a statistics math assignment for my second class, my 601. For 602, I have an intervention assignment and a paper, a theory paper. And for 603, the final class, I have a group project and a final paper for this section, which actually is like two smaller papers combined. The main dominating assignment for this past week was the group project. I think I'm still on the fence on how I feel generally about group projects. I think that there are probably like group project people and solo people, and I am a solopreneur. So I run this business with occasional assistance. And for my retreats, I hire a team for the the retreat itself. But most of the time, I'm operating on my own time, my own ideas, and executing those in the way that feels good. From time to time, I actually really crave having a group, 
I love the idea of like being in companionship with other people and sharing the load and sharing the ideas and not having to generate it all by myself, just like sitting in a room. (laughs) And so this group project was a fun exercise of this idea. Getting on a call with my cohort, there are four other girls and I, we span the globe. So our farthest away companion is in Manila, Philippines. And then we, the rest of us live in Seattle, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and me in Richmond. Having a smaller group, this group cohort, that this will now be our second project that we've done together, is really fun. It's a great way in a distance learning program to get to know some people a little bit better and to work together. The way that we decided to approach this, knowing that we are all short on time, just busy in our daily lives, was to set up some calls ahead of time. So we had a call on Monday right after we finished the onsite to discuss our strategy for this assignment. We had a few different options to choose from, and our group in our call decided we wanted to go ahead with a research project proposal regarding some of the readings and the guest lectures that we had had during the onsite. This was a four-page project. That was the guideline. And we discussed just live in about an hour call. We went through a bunch of different options. decided on what our topic would be, divvied up the workload, and then decided to meet again later in the week. This worked really well. I loved, you know, kind of collaborating and brainstorming and bouncing around ideas in real life and then separating the work and saying, okay, well, now during our own time, we can work on our own piece of this. I was in charge of the introduction, so I spent some hours on Tuesday pulling that together, digging into the literature and different research around our topic. I wrote the introduction and added my references and citations. It ended up being around a page and then, you know, uploaded it to the Google Doc. And so over the next few days, the Google Doc was visited by people dropping in their own drafts. A couple of the group members were assigned to do sort of an overview edit to put things together and make sure it flows and felt like it was one voice. And then we hopped on a call on Saturday afternoon to go through it, this final edit, put the finishing touches on it, make sure it all worked well, was cohesive, and we turned it in Saturday evening. The whole process was so interesting to me where I just don't have the opportunity to work in a group setting like that very often. I found myself experiencing this tension of, I have a, an idea about a different way we could do this, but it I don't know that it's necessarily better, it's just different. Definitely feeling like if I was doing this on my own, I would do a lot of aspects of it differently, but I'm not doing it on my own. And so how do, you know, where do we bend and flex to create space for everyone and all of the different ideas and all of the different ways of doing things, processes, even writing styles, which was so interesting to read the draft when it was just like four different chunks, like four individual voices, and then how the editors did such a good job of kind of mellowing out our unique voices and turning it into one solid document. And that's our final edit on Saturday did a lot of that too, just kind of working through how are we seeing these things in similar ways in in each of the different sections. It also was an interesting experience in like how much does it matter? And I think that this reminded me of something that I heard a while ago about relationships when you're trying to compromise in a relationship. And what is a relationship if not 
but a very long-term group project <laughs> where you are, you know, the thing that you're collaborating on is life, is the logistics of a household and raising a family and all of those things. I heard once that the person that the issue matters most for probably should have the most weight in the argument. Like maybe two people care about something different amounts and the way that they would do it is differently. But if I would do it this way and I care about, you know, a level two and you would do it that way and you care a level eight, well, then the compromise is probably that let's go with the way that you would do it because you care a lot about that thing. I think it's not super often that both partners or multiple partners in a team care level 10, that their way is the only way. And when those instances do arise, there's probably other aspects that can be pulled into the discussion. Maybe that's where you use a third party like a a counselor or a therapist or, uh, you know, a neutral third party, even like Google to answer the question of like, which is the best way to do this? I found a little bit of that tension happening in going through the editing process. Like, I don't love this. I wouldn't have done it that way. And I also care about a level one about this. Like, I, I want the paper to be done well. I want the group project to go well. I am definitely not planning or trying to be top of class in this graduate program. I am trying to do the best that I can in the time that I have without driving myself crazy. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Another thing that I noticed was, and maybe this is unique to this program in particular, and I've noticed this in a lot of different aspects of the MAP program, we are studying well-being. We are studying relationships and positive emotion and making good decisions. And there is so much of that that infuses the program itself. A lot of like active, constructive responses and noticing and complimenting and giving lots of positive feedback and people stepping in to help other people when they're unable or when something comes up. It's been really, really positive to work with a group in an environment that is so supportive. And I think a little bit of like a micro perspective of how positive psychology and the factors that influence this idea of well-being across fields and across lifespan, when infused into any environment, education, corporate cultures, um, you know, other types of team building, families, relationships, they improve. Everyone feels better working in an environment where they 
feel valued, where they're heard, where they're receiving positive feedback and active, constructive listening and responses. And even when there is a discussion or a decision to be made, that those decisions are made with openness and and respect and honesty and clarity, it's been really fun. Even just seeing the way that these principles, because they're known by all of us in the course, because that is what we're studying, are being so actively infused into the schoolwork environment. It's been quite a pleasure. As my little deep dive, I mean, they're not very deep in these 15-minute episodes, but the thing that I wanted to sort of call out this week that was on my mind a lot and also that we wrote about in our group project was a concept, an idea for making better, faster, and easier decisions. First of all, I just have to note that the topic of decision-making was a big one in this last on-site and in, you know, the, the things that we're studying right now, the books that we're reading, a lot of the articles that we're reading, and even the paper that we wrote had an aspect of making decisions. I was thrilled to understand during this last section that positive psychology includes the specific theory about making better and easier decisions. It includes the idea of decision fatigue, the ideas of maximizing and satisfying, which I will save for another episode that I want to deep dive a little bit more into. It includes the idea coined by Barry Schwartz, a, a researcher, that more is not always better, that more, in fact, can be worse for us. And I was like, Hallelujah. Yes, this is exactly what I've been talking about for the last, you know, five years at minimum and maybe even close to 10 years. It was really interesting and satisfying for me to dig deeper into this topic. And one of the theories that emerged in the data and in the research that we mentioned in our paper and that I have just been thinking about a lot is the idea of what's called a second order strategy for decision making. This includes any number of guidelines that would decrease your options by virtue of a specific filter. So examples of second-order strategies are laws, rules, standards, values, personal values. These are all filters that when you set them up between you and a decision, they auto-filter a bunch of the options that you may have considered if you didn't have that second-order strategy in place. So let me use a simple example of laws. Laws are a second-order strategy for decision-making. If you decide that you are going to be a law-abiding citizen and you walk into 7-Eleven and you go fill up a big gulp and you're standing at the cash register and you see some donuts, you don't put the donuts in your pocket. You don't ask yourself, should I steal those donuts? Should I put that that little package of donuts in my pocket and leave without paying for it? When you have decided that you are going to obey the law, it filters out all of those possible breaking the law decisions that, that are out there. Stealing things, uh, you know, breaking into other people's houses, um, hurting people intentionally, there are some decisions that will just be filtered out and not even become decisions anymore with the use of a second order strategy. Another example might be if you 
send your kids to a private school or a public school that requires uniforms. Uniforms are a second order strategy. You don't wake up in the morning and think, oh my goodness, what should I wear of all of these multiple clothes in my closet? You wake up and maybe think, should I wear the plaid skirt or the plaid jumper today? Instead of having 15 options for what you're gonna put on, there's like three. That is an example of a second order strategy. This whole idea was so fascinating to me because I have intuited this into my work and my own programs. My six-week intentional living masterclass called Decluttered, one of the things that we do in the class, like one of the actual tasks of the course is identifying personal values and then using them, along with all the other things we learn, to set some personal intentional living guidelines. Those intentional living guidelines serve as a second order strategy for the participants so that when they leave the class, they don't just go back to choosing any old thing. They have decided what matters most to them, and then they've been able to clarify that into some specific personal guidelines. I have a bunch of these for my own life. I just want to mention one really quick as an example and then let you run free with your imagination of all the different ways that you can add second-order strategies to your life to make your decisions easier. One that I have had as a personal intentional living guideline for a couple years now is that I buy clothes that are secondhand or made from a sustainable source. Naturally, this cuts down the clothes that I choose from the billions of options out there to the things that I find in the local consignment store or like on Poshmark or eBay, or the handful, growing all the time, which is great, but still small handful of stores that have sustainable and ethical processes in place for the manufacturing and distribution of their clothes. I have absolutely loved the ease that this invites into my decision-making when it comes to clothes. I also have the second order strategy of only shopping for clothes twice a year. So not only am I cutting down on the options, but I'm also cutting down on the amount of time that I spend even thinking about it because of this personal guideline. It's not imposed on me and I can change it if I want to, but simply having that decision made in advance for myself has created a ton of ease. And all of this was backed up by the research that we read in the onsite this last time around and we shared some of it in the group paper that we wrote this week. I will link as a resource in the show notes an article and also a great book all about this. Uh, We were able to listen to Barry Schwartz lecture. He was fantastic and his book was just phenomenal. So check it out and also consider how can you make your decisions a little bit easier this week. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com easy. 
That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy.